real life superpowers. Hey everyone, that song you just heard was written and performed by our guest today, Ifti Kersner. If you don't speak Hebrew, the lyrics say, Why cry? We can always try. If you wipe your tears, I'm here, and we can talk about everything. Suddenly, the time will stop, and you'll see the night will be over. Now clearly, this was written in a romantic context, but I do think there's a strong message in general about deep relationships and communication, two key themes that are very evident about Ifti. What's this got to do with our podcast? Bear with me. Ifti is first and foremost a creator. He was a fairly known singer and composer in Israel with several successful hits, such as the one you've just heard, a TV host and a journalist. But he wasn't satisfied. So he realigned his goals and pivoted into entrepreneurship. He co-founded Kistera, a startup that helps insurance companies increase profitability through artificial intelligence. They've raised the 76 million Series A. You'll sense his energy from the get-go. He's sensitive and super passionate, speaking openly about pain and failure, not trying to paint a perfect picture of life, which I find admirable. Listening to him made us wonder how much charisma and the ability to hold a strong stage presence can be an advantage in entrepreneurship. We cover a lot of ground. The difference between competence and arrogance, the effect of becoming a parent on his self-confidence, how pain fuels his life, the power of strong partnerships, going to therapy with your business partner, quite unusual, intuition and emotion, and much more. I hope you enjoy your listen. Real Life Superpowers Ifti, welcome to Real Life Superpowers. Hello, thank you for having me, which is the most American thing to say when you get on a show. Welcome, thank you for having me. People need to understand that, why do I say it's an American thing? Because here in Israel, if we would be talking Hebrew, you'd be like, hey, Ifti, I'd be like, hey, Noah, what's up, man? What's going on? But, but you get that American vibe by, by talking English. Like, oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. You know, all that, that, all that politeness, which I guess is a good thing because it gets people, gets people engaged. That's okay, I'll be the hypocrite. Sure thing. We're so happy to have you as well. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, thank you so much, Ronan, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Ifti, I got to share something. Um, I'm not one uh, who follows popular culture so much. But in fact, your songs are such that, um, for lack of a better phrase, struck a chord with me. And oh, thank I'm, you. And I'm really curious because you really shifted. Do you still write and, uh, and sing or is that something that you completely turned your back to? So, so first of all, thank you. Uh, I take that with, with no cynicism as, as we said before because but, but you know that, that's funny because that's the difference between between business and art. I take art as a very, very pure thing, which I can take that kind of compliment at the most purest sense of it. But then if you would have been complimenting my company, I mean I also appreciate that, but you, you always take that with a grain of salt like okay, it's about money, you know we made a lot of money, so you think I'm successful, so you want to pursue there's always something weird about that. but so thank you for saying that and yes, I still 
I still write a lot. I write and compose music. I do kind of these demos, which I hope someday I can release for other th- singers to kind of uh, perform because I don't want to perform them. But it's really a state of mind. Listen, I'm so busy with with my company, Castera, with our company, mine and my partner, Segev. And it's just, I don't know, you, you have to come to art from a place of wholeheartedness, I believe. And when you have and when you're 150% involved in something like I am in Kistera, it's really, really hard to produce good quality uh, uh products, whatever it is, whatever kind of art do you have. So I still do it, but it's just it's it's a little less often than I would want to. I try to write a lot, but when I say a lot, I I maybe twice a year I get to the studio, which is still a lot for me in, in the the way that my love my life looks like right now. But back in the day I could go, you know, every other week because I feel so prolific and I feel like I have so many things to say and I feel like my soul wants to scream my 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 emotions through song, you know, through lyrics and words. Uh, I don't get it that often, but I do. I, I'm if I may kind of blow my own horn. I think I'm writing the best songs that I've ever wrote today. I know a lot of them were were very popular, kind of in the last decade that I wrote. And every time that you write a song and you like it, and even if it gets aired now on the radio and it becomes very big, like I was very fortunate to have some of my songs. You know, they were number one on the radio. So every time when that happens, you always tell yourself. Oh my God, I am never going to be able to duplicate this again in my life. I am never going to be able to write a bigger song or a better song or, or a song that's going to move people. And I really worked long and hard on myself to be in a position where I feel confident enough to humbly be able to say, I think I'm writing better songs today. And I actually feel like I've become better. Why Why is this the time right now, in all you're doing right now, that actually creatively you're saying I'm writing the best? Like what happened? Because you're not practicing the most, right? I am a lot more confident today at 37 than I was at 17. Now, if you hear an interview of me for the first decade of my career, let's say 18 to 28, when I, w- when I had a hit TV show, when I was writing what number one songs, I thought that I was confident. I thought I knew what confidence was. If you read my interviews or hear me speaking, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm the shit, I'm this, I'm that. I, I thought I was confident, confident. But now when I look back at that, I knew I know I knew nothing. I knew I was full of myself. I knew I was, you know, I, our whole office is built against hubris, you know, against drinking your own Kool-Aid, against starting to believe what people say about you. That's actually why I left show business, because I started to believe I was better than, than what, you know, than what I thought I should be believing about myself. But today, I'm actually confident as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a business owner, and as an artist. And when you get that complete picture, when you sleep a little bit better with yourself, when you feel a little bit better about your life... I believe that produces a a certain strain of confidence that allows me today to write better music, I think. Okay, so there's a moment where, okay, maybe this is a fluke. Okay, this I needed help. This went well, but maybe I can't duplicate it. What was the moment where you're like, okay, I I have that X factor. I go to sleep. I'm a better husband, better. Like, what was was the game changer in like? I think think it was half a year after my son was born. We have one son, me and my wife, Carmel. His name is Michael Moses. He is now... uh, one year and 11 months old. And for the first six months, I really didn't kind of connect with him. He was born, and I don't know if a lot of people talk about this, but me and my wife were kind of freaked out. I don't know if it was uh, depression per se, but we really didn't know how to handle the situation, and he was kind of ugly, which sounds like a shallow thing to say, but it really, we just felt like, oh, what is this ugly creature in our house that all he does is screams and cries and shits itself? And I felt no kind of emotional connection, and and I, I really felt bad about that. But then after half a year, 
when we started to make more eye contact and I started to feel his emotions and I started to relive life through him and I became young again, but only now with the knowledge of a 40 year old man. Like I can experience life again, his curiosity, his enthusiasm, his, you know, his naiveness. And I can relive that, but now as a 37 year old man that knows a lot about life. And once I became complete with my son, I became complete with life and I'm getting emotional now because I think he brought me the gift of actually understanding what what matters and I know it sounds so cheesy and I'm sorry because if people are parents they're going to understand it and if they're not parents you won't be able to understand it because there are no words and I, this is coming from a, from somebody that uses I'm a wordsmith I use words my whole life but I cannot use enough words to describe what Michael Moses has done to my life so you're asking you're saying that this was like a kind of a mirror Okay, of your like yourself, like you were looking inside his eyes, and and you had the confidence that you have to be you yourself. A hundred percent. That is me at two years old. Well, how did that make you confident? Because I see the truth in his eyes, and the truth is love. The truth is opportunity. The truth is life is beautiful. The truth is there, there's so much to learn and do and to enjoy. The truth is you can look at the sun for 20 minutes and enjoy nature, which I forgot how to do. I got detached from life. I built walls around myself that have to do with business and valuations and partnerships and money, and that's disgusting because Michael Moses sees a flower and he stops the smell it and once again i apologize for that sounding cynical but i am not smell the goddamn flowers it's so hard to do and i needed him to come back into my life to teach me what really matters and that makes me a better businessman that makes me a better husband and that makes me a better artist you know when i get to art so it's not confidence what you're actually saying is this your your energy is in the right place right now where you're just doing what's truthful for or good for you and not for the external values that is not important yes and yes and i'm confident because you can't touch me you cannot Ah. do anything to harm me now because i have my son my son is amazing he is beautiful he is smart i don't care what happens to the business i don't care what happens to the music i'm confident because i have what i needed which is my son and now everything else matters a little bit less so you lost being scared. You have nothing to lose anymore. Exactly. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really scared about him, and I don't want anything to happen to him or my wife, you know, especially now with, with earthquakes getting coming to Israel. That is absolutely scary. But it really kind of, exactly, it kind of lowered the level of panic or stress that I had in life to the point of, you know, if the, you were on this crazy, crazy mission of trying to become you know, my dad, in lack of other words, if we have time, you know, to get into that, because everybody kind of follows a role model. So I follow my dad as being, you know, the most successful, kind, honest entrepreneur that I know. And when I had my son, I always knew that it wasn't truth. And you can also listen to things I said, you know, before Michael was born. But when he got, got born, he really stamped the fact on you know, if the, you got to get your priorities straight. Now, I'm not there yet. I'm talking to you from my office, you know, in Castero, which I'm every day, a lot more hours than I want to. But at least now I know the trajectory of how to make my life sane again on what I need to do in order to gain clarity. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I said confidence. It's all over the place. But I think if if people can relate to what I'm saying and they, and they have that feeling, then they know that when you know what really matters, it also helps you focus on everything else. So I have two thoughts here. One is a little word of caution 
of hearing you say that he is you and the mother here has to tell you he's not. So just maybe be careful to not make him feel like he can't be him. Listen, listen, Noah. His mother, I love her, Carmel, my wife. That little guy is me. I feel his soul and spirit talk to me at night when we sleep next to each other. I know who he is. I know the pain and suffering and struggle that he's going to go through through life because I know what life really is. And I'm going to be there for him. And he's going to be there for me like nobody was ever there for anybody else. And I hope every father feels the same way about their kid. I don't know if that's the case. I hope, but I know him Uh, forget about the fact that he just looks like me, right? That that, that always helps. But I, he's so sensitive. And, and, you know, when he doesn't sleep with us, some nights he throws up because it hurts his feelings so much. And that is what I had growing up with. I know the pain he's going to have through life when you are that sensitive. You know, I grew up feeling everything. Physically, you know, I couldn't wear socks till I was four because it hurt my, my feet. Sounds like the movie Green Mile. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, I grew up with kind of a hypersensitivity. And I always say it's external, but internal. It affects your body and your senses, but it also affects your soul. So when you're that sensitive, life is beautiful on one hand because you enjoy it so much. But life is also very difficult because it's filled with agony and pain. And I know what he's going to go through. And I'm going to be the best person to help kind of chaperone him through that. We're excited to be collaborating with the Israeli website CTEC, owned by Kalkalist, Israel's leading business newspaper. CTEC is the gateway of the Israeli high-tech to the tech world and vice versa. If you're not already a regular reader, we strongly recommend that you check out kalkalistech.com, C-A-L-C-A-L-I-S-T-E-C-H.com, to stay up to date on all high-impact stories from the Israeli tech scene. Is pain what led you to not do art for a living anymore? A hundred percent. Pain led me through everything. Pain is my motivation. I have the devil's fire living within my brain that drives me to do things that if I had any amount of sanity, I would not ever do, like pursue these billion-dollar valuations. Who cares about that crap? Nobody needs a billion dollars. It's disgusting. It's, it's poisonous to your soul. But when you're fueled by pain, When you have that chip on your shoulder, when you need to prove to the world, your family, your dad, it doesn't mean who, it doesn't matter, you're going to be fighting against all odds to prove something. What are you trying to prove and to whom? So, so that's a very complex question. Uh, and, and there are several ways to answer that. The first thing that I want to prove is that people can harm me. And you remember that I spoke about that before. I, when I was in, 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 at school in the first, fourth or fifth grade I don't know what I, I the word in English is like bullied I don't want to say bullied I wasn't bullied I was the kids didn't talk to me there was like you know like four or five months where nobody spoke to me in class and 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 I, I hope it's not controversial controversial what I'm about to say and if even if it is I don't care it was like getting raped so it was like I got raped when I was at in fourth age what that does to your soul is it scars you in a way you cannot forget it 30 years later. And everything you want to do is prove to the world, I'm going to have too much money. You won't be able to harm me again. You won't be able to disregard me. You won't be able not to talk to me. I'm going to be so 
ritz or important or known or famous that you won't be able to shove me aside again like you did when I was, you know, nine or 10. And that never leaves you. And that doesn't leave you. I I, I hope I went through therapy, you know, for many years. It still hasn't helped. Uh, a little, well, not for that subject, at least. But that's something I carry with me. And, and part of that pain is me trying to prove, yes, you will not disregard me. I will be spoken and I will be heard. Uh, yeah, so that's part of it, and there are other parts. It's getting stronger. An entrepreneur as a whole, you have to be a psychopath to do it for the money. Like the, It's weird to say, but you need something more important than that. But the question is this, okay? You've achieved success a few times, okay? Right. Let's say you don't have to get any stronger. I think like you just pinpointed that with the child. Now you have something more important to go for. Right. Okay. And you have to be responsible for something or have a higher purpose value. Right. So did you have like a moment of demotivation before the child? Uh, because you were like kind of lost. I, I always have moments of demotivation, even after Michael Moss. But I want to tell you something that relates to what you said. The pain never ends. The whole is so deep, and I—it's like somebody has a fear of heights, right? And you're telling them, "Listen, there's a there's a th three-inch thick glass window between between you and the edge of the building. You know, you're—it's physically impossible for you to fall. But when you have a fear of heights, it's still physically impossible to get close to the window. Although your brain knows you're safe, it's okay. There, there absolutely cannot be, be anything that happens to you. So that's the same thing. When you're hurt that bad, you are never strong enough. You are never safe enough. You're always in a place where, oh, if I don't do this, something can happen and somebody will either harm me or, you know, or I won't be important enough or I will be disregarded. I'm not saying this is a good strategy, but you can always just not do it. Like what I'm saying is this. When you have your, your social area already, okay, then just opening up more or going more or as an entrepreneur, you're opening yourself for, to more pain maybe. It's like saying I'm afraid of heights but going to heights, right? So you're actually building your own problem sometimes, right? That's where the that's where the, the kind of internal conflict that you spoke about of being a little bit crazy kicks in. I think about my dad again, and I relate to him a lot. He has a fear of heights, and he was a jet plane fighter in the army. And that is, you think about that, that sounds impossible. How would a, would a person that has fear of heights put himself in a position where he has to fly a plane as a living for nine, ten years, you know, and have aerial combats when he does that? Why did he do it? I don't know. So I said maybe I inherited it from him. He did it because he felt an honor to defend our country and protect it. You know, if I take my Star of David out of my shirt, you see, I think it's an honor to build big companies, thrive, provide opportunities, pay taxes and pay salaries in Israel. I feel like it's my responsibility to grow a big, strong, Israeli, international company to bring pride to our country, to bring pride to our nation, to bring pride to our religion that a lot of people are, are not aware enough about who we are and what we do. So, so I think that's kind of my part of doing it. I'm honestly just too scared to be a jet plane fighter, so I couldn't do it that way. But I think that we can bring a lot of respect and a lot of good work for the future of this country, which is extremely important by doing the work. And also by art, by the way. But art is, if I write in Hebrew, it's confined in the country. You know, I wrote a couple of songs, if you know them, one of them is called A Million Stars, and the other one is called In Our Kindergarten, which became a na national songs. You know, a very, very famous. So please correct me if I'm, you know, if I'm wrong. Keep me no, honest. No, I on agree. This. I agree. So, so like they're played in, in national concerts and on national stages and in national ceremonies. So I feel that was my contribution also to life here. If I help people, 
relieve pain, you know, relieve anxiety with music and, and especially music that talks about loss, like those two songs about death of friends in, 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 the, in the army and in war. So I feel that's a contribution. So why not follow through on that? Why not, you know, and, you, and if you're saying that Hebrew isn't enough, which I understand because you want to reach more audiences, then why not shift to writing in English? You didn't do that. You decided that you want something else. And I'm really curious what led to that. That's true because my art isn't real in English. I write, I honor the Hebrew language so much, and it's the language of my grandparents. And I am a very, very family-oriented person, as you can say. I, I see I always, I mention my wife, my son, my dad. Uh, my grandparents are a huge impact on my life. I don't know if you're going to take a, a video snap. In my wallet, I always carry a picture of my grandfather. This is my grandfather. His name is Moses. My son is named after him. So I love this guy. And he had to go through the Holocaust to get here in Israel. And he fought and he had to lose all of his family and my grandmother as well. So who am I not to write in Hebrew, not to build the company in Israel? Who am I not to try to carry my weight in the faith of this nation that my family fought so hard to get here? So when you look at me, now that I talk, I realize when this is like therapy for me. That's why I do a lot of these podcasts. There's like a... a, an, a, a a whole wide set of emotions that drive me to do what I do. It's the pain. It's the family. It's my son. It's tradition. It's honor. And all that results in what I hope can be considered as some kind of success, you know? At least we're doing something. At least we're fighting for a cause. At least we're, tr we're, we're trying our best. At least we're giving it our all. Nobody will be able to look at me when I'm 90, 95, 100, look back at my life and say, that guy did not give it all. Nobody would be able to look back at my life and say, oh, that guy tried as hard as he can. We don't even care what he was doing. Music, business, politics maybe one day, you know? That guy tried. And that guy left his heart and soul and sweat and tears on the field. And that was what I do with every initiative I'm in. That's what I do in every podcast I'm on because I actually care and I actually feel obliged not only to succeed, but to try and help other people succeed as well. So if you're listening to this, and once again, and you can relate to anything that I say, just go get it, guys. Go freaking get it. I mean, life sucks and it's hard and, and, and shit is going to be difficult and people are going to tell you a, a thousand and one things. And believe me, believe me, I have not had kind of a, a picnic. My life was not a picnic. I have, it, it's been hard for me since I was born just because I know and I understand and I look. And somebody that observes life is always going to be, you know, have conflicts. But go get it. Forget about everything. Kick ass and let's do it. And find me on Instagram. And if you have any questions, shoot me up if you're in Israel. Let's meet up and let's kick ass. Ifti, your passion is so evident. I'm wondering, you started a business at what age? This one or like in general? Okay, what, would ha what happened before Kistera? So I, 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 I had many companies and I opened Kistera when I was 29 and I was actually old and tired. So to, you know, an answer question, did you get tired? I was so tired when I met Segev. I was 29. Who is Segev? Segev is my co-founder and partner. He founded the company. Segev Shilton founded the, com the, the company with me eight years ago. And he's like two years younger than me. So when I met Segev when, when I was 29, I was in the midst, midst of, of, a, of another in a kind of unsuccessful business, my third or fourth in the last couple of years. And I was so tired and I saw Segev and I told them, listen, man, this is our last 
company. And the reason why we're called Kistera is Kiss is obviously Kiss in English. Terra is the Latin word for, for, for land, like ground earth. And in the Voyages movies, when I saw growing up, like Robin Hood, when you finished the voyage, you got back to your motherland and you got on your knees and you kissed the ground. And I told Segev, we got home, man. This is our home now. And if you can see in our logo, you got the K. There's a little cabin you see in the K. That's the cabin that we got to in our home. And I told Sega, this is the last company, because he had some unsuccessful tries as well. And I told him, together, we're going to make it. And this is going to be the last company I ever found, because I'm tired and I want to make it. You know, like 50 Cent said, get rich or die trying. That's the state of mind that we had. Hustle, grind, make it work. So kiss Terra, kiss the ground, get to your holy land, get back there. We're not moving here. We cannot be moved. Like that song, I am the man who cannot be moved. What went wrong with the previous businesses? Long story short, Partners. Partners is the most important for me thing in my life. I have never, except music, well, you know what? That also relates to music. I have never been able to accomplish anything significant in my life by myself. Now, this is very different from some other people that are kind of solo and they know how to do it. I need people next to me. I thrive by having people next to me and they complete me. And me and Segev, when we met each other, Segev and myself, we complete each other perfectly. I have never seen a more perfect yin and yang. And I spoke with Onen a little bit about this before going live, because you know, he also knows me and Sega from way back, that how much of a good fit I feel like we were and we are, because we are the exact opposite of each other. We cannot agree almost on anything, but then we complete each other perfectly because we see life the same way and we have the same values. And he's m- much more analytical and a kind of, uh, uh, kind of, linear thoughts and i'm completely sporadic and i'm, I'm more i'm more people's person he's more a computer person just to make it exactly kind of uh, uh simple for everybody to understand so partnership when i found the right partner i exploded on life so so i'll tell you subjectively on my side because like i uh you a little bit uh, when you were before like younger what was amazing to me to see uh, especially as entrepreneurs and actually you don't see this a lot i saw two people that were very compatible okay they empowered one another you, like every day i met you guys even alone each time but it was it was great to hear it's like you talk about family and you weren't a long time of partners then but the thing were that both of you were i think two of the most focused people in a young age that i saw like when it when it when when it dropped the memory like from where where i got you from i knew exactly what you guys were looking for there i remember that everybody was trying to like you were Two youngsters with a lot of enthusiasm, but you were offered so many things. I remember everybody was like offering you these things and you were focused on what you guys were doing, even if it was successful or not on that timeline. And why am I saying this? Because you're talking about partnership, okay? And there's, there's something that I believe in is that you can trust anybody, but you can't trust things that happen around that. It's not always their fault. And, and the thing is, now you're evolving also as people. Okay, and the focus there. Okay, how do you generate that focus now that you have less time? How do you keep that partnership going? Because that was amazing to see. But if you're with the same person all the time, I can get that. First of all, thank you for mentioning that. And we fell in love with each other, you know, immediately. I met Segev and my wife around, you know, the same time period in my life. And I met the, the two most important people for, for of my next decade, right? One of them is going to bear my company. One of them is going to bear my child. So, so I really met them together and we fell in love. And it takes a lot of work and communication, both relationships, by the way. 
and I went to therapy sometimes with both relationships and, and they're equivalent because when you're going to be spending and first five years, I spent double the amount of hours, waking hours with Segev that I do with my wife. I'm talking about all day in the office. I'm talking about the long flights to the United States and the conferences and everything. And we had to develop such a deep level of emotional connection, trust above all, like you trust your spouse, meaning that even so, if somebody shows me a video of him, you know, doing something unthoughtful, I'd be like, no, that's not true. That's a level of trust, not being blind. Yeah, let's differentiate that by being naive and blind, but having that trust in somebody and it also gets measured along the way, like you said, because there are external influences on a partnership. There are other people involved. There are people providing their opinion, right? Somebody can come in, try, try to hedge kind of a, 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 like a animosity between you guys. But you said something really, I have to, this is, this, this is important because I didn't even know how to, how to, how did you approach going to therapy with your partner? Okay. How did that happen? Who offered that? Okay. And what was the, I out, like, what was the choice and what, like, what kind of therapy and what, like, was the solution? Because that's, that's amazing to me, the, the openness and I was like, like, so, so thank you. First, obviously it came from me. Cause like I said, I'm more of a people's person. He's more of a computer's person. So it never comes from the computer person. The, the thought of let's do some emotion, some deep emotional work. It also, it always comes from the people's person, but listen, spending all that time together and having a different mindset on some of the stuff and having to deal with other, it was about other people, our relationship with other people. Cause like you said, when you involve another person, it becomes a triangle. I mean, we're used to working with each other. Now we have another semi partner or somebody in our office or something. And if we could not agree on how to handle a certain situation to an extent where we felt like this can become something cancerous, for our relationship because you know between partners there's always a moment where that cancer starts or oh i actually hate that guy or i can't believe what he's doing and then it grows and grows and grows until you kind of fall apart and the reason that we're knock on wood thank god still successful as partners eight years after is because we were able to identify that and have really hard deep emotional cry felt conversation i i think sake of never I'm, I'm, I'm busting everything out. He's going to be, oh, he doesn't listen to this. doesn't matter. I don't think he's cried. I don't think he's cried in his life anywhere as close as a mo- as, as many times as he's cried with me. Wasn't he, wasn't he as a partner defensive? I don't want that. I'm not going to that. It's going to help me. How'd you bring him in the room? He was, abs- he was absolutely, but, but, but actual partnership means you have to trust me enough because of everything that we've went through that you're willing to put your heart in my hand and trust me that I won't do anything to manipulate it or, or, or misuse your trust and open yourself to me. And I'm saying the amount of time that we cry together, I, I, I teared up yesterday or two days ago. I said something to him on the phone and I was like, yeah, I just, you know, I appreciate you, man. I love you. I see all the hard work that you're doing. And, and I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted, and I got really coughed up and he, we couldn't, we couldn't continue the conversation. He had to hang up because he gets so, uh, he doesn't like it when we get emotional. Yeah, you're confused though. You were telling him compliments and crying yourself. No, I was crying because it's a, it's a beautiful feeling and, and being partners after all these years and being able to talk like this isn't easy, especially, especially when there's a lot of money involved. Guys, we raised 80 million dollars not to speak about the fact that we were profitable from day one so Segev and myself between us saw a lot of money flowing and money is the root of all evil money destroys relationships it destroys 
partnerships. It destroys marriages. It destroys families. So the fact that we were able to still be honest with each other after so much money flowing, you know, through the company, that makes me even more proud. And that's why I teared up yesterday when I was talking to him, because I said, I can't believe we are where we are and we still haven't stabbed each other in the neck or the back or, or whatever, because that's usually what happens. Was there ever a point that you were like with, you know, ready with the knives, but it was just emotional and, and then you got off like a hundred percent. I don't think we were actually ready with the knives, but I think, you know, I scream at him sometimes. Like I don't scream at anybody because like you say, family is a, is a, is a people you get hurt from the most. Right. So sometimes he can hurt me and I can be like, why the why, you know why the fuck are you doing this? I mean, why uh, why can't you see the issue like I see it? And then he goes like, no, but I see it differently, and it just fronts me. It's just like married guys. Anybody who's married knows it's exactly like that. It's the same level of frustration. But you love your wife. You appreciate yourself being part of a bigger thing, and that's what I appreciate with my partnership about you know with Segev, and we have a good thing going, and we really like each other and love each other. So there's no reason to let that emotional. Or, or, or momentary stress or, 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 or even, you know, any kind of bad emotion that comes up in that moment, let it ruin, you know, everything that's beautiful that you've built around it. I'm hearing what you're saying about partnerships being a key ingredient in success, but I'm still trying to understand how a musician and content creator goes about to build a very oh, successful that's, business. That's my dad, 100%. So my, my dad has been an entrepreneur my whole life. He can talk about nothing except business. All he can talk about is business. I will repeat. Every, he, he is like a, a, a business machine. He likes it. That's what he cares about. He loves it. That's what he wants to talk about. That's how he educates you. So I always say if my dad was like a soccer player, right, a very famous, successful soccer player, and everything that I saw at home from the moment I grew up, you know, since I was two, was about soccer. Every day we watched soccer. We talked about soccer. We analyzed soccer. You know, like Americans do about football sometimes. So I saw business my whole life, business, entrepreneurship, deals, partnerships, contracts. So that's, I was groomed to make business, to do business. And then you went and became a musician. Exactly. And because I had such a kind of an affinity for the arts, I went and became a musician. But back then in Israel, I could be very, very famous, like have number one songs. And then I had my own TV show, but not make a lot of money because Israel is a, a very small country. And B, there wasn't a lot of ways to monetize music back in the day. I mean, all my famous songs, I didn't even put them on YouTube. I didn't understand what YouTube was. I was like, why do you need YouTube? There's like a Channel 24, which was Israel's MTV. I'm like, what's the internet? I'm, I'm that guy, right? I'm that guy that missed on the internet and said, yeah, I don't understand what that has to do with art. So I was very famous. I had a lot of popular songs, TV show, but I couldn't make enough money. And then my dad, when I was like 24 or 5, was like, hey, you know what, son? You really should get your act together and start making more money because a real man and I'm not saying this in the gender aspect of it, but a real human being, a real person, should be able to stand on their own feet. So you shouldn't be taking money from your family. You shouldn't be living in our house anymore. You really need to be able to provide for yourself. And when you have your own wife and kids, you should be able to provide for them. Just like in the movies. Just like in the movies. And that really spun me out of the entertainment business, which, by the way, I was looking for an excuse to leave anyway, because like I told you guys before, because I couldn't handle that emotionally, like the roller coaster and all the just, you know, everybody's talking about you and looking about you, looking at you, and you start believing yourself that you're so cool and you're so amazing and you're so awesome. I, I never wanted to live like that. And if your dad was supportive of this, do you think maybe it would have been a different sentiment for you? A hundred percent. So it's about him. 
it's up it's 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 nature versus nurture you know it's the oldest it's the oldest kind of argument in the book i am a result of my dna and where i grew up at and it's a it's a combination of both and god i believe gave me the gift of being able to create music but he also was kind enough to give me the gift of being able to 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 understand business and how business works so you know i had a choice and and yeah, nature, nurture, who knows? And who knows when I'll end up? I'm only 37 years old. I, I'm not even at the half point of my life. There's so much more living to do. So I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I know I want to experience everything. And I know I want to be very good at what I do. So I don't want to half-ass it. When I did music, I wanted to be number one. When I was 17, I came to my mom and I told her, mom, I'm going to have a number one song on the radio. And she says, son, I love you. She's very supportive. She said, son, I love you. You're so talented and, and amazing, but... You don't know how to play any instrument and you can't sing. So how in the world are you going to have a number one song on the radio? And I told her, yeah, mom, that's true. But I have something else that other people, I believe, you know, not necessarily have. And she says, what's that? And I said, I think I have a very strong grasp and understanding about life. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, I understand people. I know what makes them tick. I know what they're feeling. I can hear with my ears without people saying anything what they're thinking. And I felt like this show is called Superpowers. That was my superpower. My superpower is understanding what people want without them needing to open their mouth and saying it. And that's what I gave people in music, I feel. And that's why I feel like I was lucky enough to be successful. So it's empathy? Is is, is that what you're saying? Your, your EQ? It's a lot of empathy. It's a lot of empathy. It's caring. I actually care. I actually, zero bullshit, zero cynicism. I actually care about people. I love people. No, that's why, that's the motivation. But but empathy, I mean, is what you're saying is you can put yourself emotionally in someone else's shoes and under, understand what makes them tick and why, okay? Does that come with a price of um, making them want to feel good? Okay, and working for them emotionally because you can't solve everything. Because if you understand, yes, okay. and that what's made that what makes it an unbearable burden. That what that's what put me in therapy since I was thirteen. That's what put me on. You know, you know, Dan Shilon, I'm a guy with Dan Shilon. It's an Israeli TV show. It's very famous. I was there when I was ten years old, speaking about politics with former uh, Prime Minister Itzhak Rabin, who got assassinated. I was ten years old, sitting on the the highest rating TV show in Israel, talking about politics instead of being out playing soccer with my friends. I was concerned about things that a kid wasn't supposed to be concerned with. So empathy is a great trade, but it also comes with a toll. And if you think about that song that, that when we spoke about before, A Million Stars, it's a song that was written from the eyes of Amit Fakash, who is Tom Fakash's sister, who is the soldier that, that died, you know, got killed in, in war, who was my friend. And a lot of people till today think that she wrote that song. And the reason why they think that she wrote the song is because it was written in first tense so it was written like she's speaking it and it was so believable every word in the song people said like i can't believe not his sister would write this and that's where i see empathy right it's i can understand what you are going through i just had the gift of being able to put it into words so sometimes it puts me in a position to even better articulate what people are feeling and it's hard for them to say and how does this serve you in the in the startup world how do you how do you think it serves me like like a charm business is all about understanding people business is partnership uh, my business i don't believe business is elbowing people and throwing them off for running trains i believe business is partnership M making money together 
And of course it helps me because all business is, is trying to negotiate or trying to understand the wants and needs of somebody on, on the chair in front of you or on a Zoom call on the other you know continent of the world and try to find middle ground for you guys to work together. So my understanding of what people feel is maybe the, the, the strongest trait I have coming into negotiation saying, I'm, not, I'm literally not here to screw you. I understand where you're coming from. I understand what you or your company or your position is. This is what I'm willing to do to meet that. I would appreciate if you could do this to meet my needs. And, and magically, I feel like good things happen when you're in that point of understanding and caring. Do you feel, is it more, it helps you even more internally? And I'm going to say this in a bad way. Do you feel that sometimes you leverage that to get the deal that you want? Because you can't be perfect. You know, there's a sentence that says if you're not aggravating enough people, you're not making enough money, right? So uh, do you manipulate that to also make the deals to hire people or to motivate them, okay, for your needs sometimes more than their needs? Not any more than a beautiful woman would manipulate society to provide her with better opportunities for the fact that she is beautiful. She does not control the fact that she's beautiful. That's a trait that she has. And if people choose to kind of treat her differently because she's beautiful that's her advantage that she should be using in every circumstance because she's not doing anything wrong so if i connect to people i should be leaning into that and i shouldn't be pushing people away saying oh this is a skill i have so i won't be using it right now it is never a manipulation because if somebody good looking people in general right i mentioned the woman because it's easier to understand but good looking men and you can see this in research is everywhere you know get hired more easily everybody wants to be looking at a good looking it sounds kind of superficial but it's not different than being a tall or if you're playing sport or fast if you're running track it's something that god gave you and you need to lean into it and use it the thing is you can see beautiful or not here you know something okay that is a superpower and by the way I agree with you. I really think that you that is a superpower. I think your empathy and your EQ is very high, okay? And on that sense, it's something that you can't see. So if someone doesn't know that, that's the difference. I'm not saying this is a bad way. This is business, right? This is not your child. That, that's a little bit mistaken because if somebody doesn't know that, that means he's not engaged in the conversation enough and I don't want to work with him or hire him. If somebody can spend half an hour with me and not understand that I'm a people's person and not understand that I have high you know, emotional intelligence and not understand that I am using it in the conversation now to try to promote this conversation, then he doesn't understand me and we're not going to be working together anyway. I put this on the table. I tell people. I am not the tech guy. I am not the insurance guy. I am not the anything guy in the company. I'm the people's guy. I'm a sales guy. This is what I do. I connect to people. I don't hide it because it's real. I'm not faking it. And if you don't connect to me, that's also okay. But then let's not do business together or let's not work together. And that's perfectly fine because there's so many opportunities for people to work with people that they do connect to that I would I, I pray for everybody to have more opportunities to work only with people that feel their energy and their vibe. What other stuff do you look for when you hire people? Oh, I'm so bad at hiring. I don't look for anything because because I'm a people's person. I fall in love with people. I hire 99% of the people that sit in front of me. I, I'm, I'm very bad. I say yes to everybody. I say yes to almost every circumstance. That's why I have Segev, right? Think about me and Segev kind of growing up together in the business world and everybody that offers me something, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's start. Let's go. And it's like, no, 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 no. And, and we kind of balance each other off in that way. Cause I am super, I, I, I fall in love with people, with ideas, with initiatives, super quick. And you always have to have that, that person to, to kind of, uh, kind of even you out, bounce you out. 
how many employees are, are we now, like in uh, Kistera? At Kistera, we're about 75 people, most of them in Israel and a couple of them in the United States. So your company is really successful, okay? And Thank you. What is the next stage, okay? Where do you want to take it as a person that has to have a legacy and loves that? Like, what's the next thing? Like, what the next point of growth for you as a person, as a company? Great question. Thank you. So uh, by the time that this is aired, we're going to have a, a new CEO, we have a great individual called Udi Ziv who's coming to run the company this Sunday. So like three days from when we're recording this, we have Udi Ziv. He used to, oh, you had him two weeks ago. Yeah, yep. Ernix. Yeah, Ernix, exactly. So Udi is coming to run the company as of Sunday. And so I, I, I heard him on your show and, and he's amazing and great guy. So he's coming to run the company. So Segev and myself can focus on what we do best with it, which is kind of the entrepreneurial spirit, the, the, the strategic vision, working with clients, because we, we weren't, we didn't build a company in order to run 150 employee company, right? We want to fly to the clients. We want to break new geographies. We want to invent new products. And Udi can do an amazing job of running, you know, a growing company all all while sending us everywhere like you know cavalry to go fix things which is what we love so i believe that if you do things that you're more passionate about you're going to get better results so our plan is castera can and should be a global dominant force in soft enterprise software for insurance companies and banks so in three to five years if we are not you know a mini Salesforce. And please understand, I'm saying this modestly and humbly. Come to our office, see. We are not one of those people who sell dreams and say, I'm the next Uber of this. I'm the next Amazon of that. Never. Our office is full of, of signs that say, stop it. Be humble. Remember, if you don't work hard, God, God is going to punish you. That's our all office. But we are also confident enough in 2023 to say our technology is kick-ass number one in the world. Privately or publicly? Uh, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Now we have the personnel to do so. I'm guessing that we will go public in the next couple of years. Where? In America, obviously, because... That's not Israel. No, not Israel. We raised at such valuations, we can't go public in Israel. There's The, the economy can't support this, unfortunately, here. What we can do is remain an Israeli company that's publicly traded somewhere else, bringing all this money and taxes to Israel. That's amazing. That's great. That's a feat that we want to do. But that's not something that we're concerned about right now or even care. I'm not thinking about taking the company public. I'm thinking about building the best product and providing the best service to our clients. And that will lead to good things. So remember what I said Kistera is going to be huge, and and we got to try to just enjoy the ride while we can. Good luck. Oh, thank you. We're gonna we're we're, we're gonna need it. Believe believe me, it's it's not an easy kind of thing to accomplish. But we feel we feel lucky. So thank you. We're rooting for you. What's your kryptonite? My kryptonite. Ooh, fakeness. Fakeness. I said it. Think about what's the opposite of empathy. Fakeness. Business is full of fake. Fake people, fake motives, fake interests, fake friendships. I hate that. That hurts me. That hurts my soul when people mistake my empathy for what, you know, what it was implying of you're just trying to get an angle on me. I hate when people act like they're my friends when they're not. I hate when people get offended by me trying to get nice because it's not politically correct to actually care or ask people personal questions, right? We live in a world today that if I ask, you remember what I actually did, Noah, before we started the recording? I asked you how old you were. You remember? You know, that's almost illegal today in the United States. I swear. 
So I hate that. I hate you have to be so careful and fake with people. I'm not even allowed to be interested in how old you are because it's ageism or race. You know what? I care. Where's your family from? You know what I mean? It's like I want to ask questions because I want to know people. And I hate a world in which that's that becomes impossible. Only ask me questions that are about business and don't talk to me about anything. So it would be vulnerability. My vulnerability? Yeah, that would be the kryptonite. The kryptonite would be vulnerability. Yeah, because 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 I lose it then. I lose it. I lose faith. I get depressed. If I know people were unfaithful or lied to me or, or, or don't see the world as I do and just want to keep it at, at an arm's length and we don't really care. We're just talking to you because it's money. I get completely shut down. I lose my energy. I lose my ability to make a connection and I become a very bad version of myself. What an amazing equation of an artist who goes into business with his genuine soul well I, and and keeps it that's 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 a it's a it's a it's a reason that stays more than the mission of money uh, if the I'll, I'll tell you this you guys you guys I, you know you already succeeded and you'll do it again and you're passionate and and just a gem on 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 talking uh, and, and making the best out of everything and I loved what you said also your son like you live everything like that thank you but I, what what I'm saying is um I, I wish you the best of luck. Just keep on making the, you know, the art of making also the money and challenging, you know, things, the legacy and staying genuine to that. Uh, because the rest, you know, you guys are rock stars. Okay. Thank so, you so much. And keeping it Israel, right? We are, we're, listen, we're here. I heard the IPO. I heard the IPO. I'm challenging you. You can do it. You can be a checkpoint. I'm honored to be here. Keep it here. Stay here with my family. Pay taxes. Not take my money abroad. I know there's a lot of conversation about that right now. We have one country and we have fought for generations to get here. So if I can end on something, uh, God bless us. God bless everybody that supports us and helps us accomplish everything we're doing. Thank you guys for your genuine uh, support. I can see you're genuine. And like I said, we'll, we will meet again. Very small ecosystem and hopefully get to do things uh, in the future together. Thank you, Ifti. You're awesome. Thank you, guys. You too. Thank you very much. That's all for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please consider subscribing to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, if you have a moment, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and review our podcast on the platform you're listening to. This will help others find our show. And as always, if you know anyone who you think would enjoy our podcast, please share it with them. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back as usual on the first of the month. Real. Live. Superpowers. Superpowers.